Well, I'm excited this morning to get to begin another journey with you, another year. And this year, this year is the year we're going to focus on what's next. Now, understand, it's not a question, it's a statement. We're not asking what's next, we already know. We know what's next. And it's when we are living in light of what's next that we're able to live for what is best. God, God does not want us to live for what is good. God wants us to live for what is best. It's easy to see when we're living for what is wrong, for what is bad. The consequences of sin in this life and in the life to come are horrible. God, God does not want us to live for what is bad, and He also doesn't want us to settle for what is good. God wants us to live for what is best. And so this month, we're going to kick the whole year off by figuring out how it is we can map out a smart start. It's so important that we have an, a, a clear understanding of what's next, where we're going, and where we are now, and how it is that we're going to get there. Uh, I know some of you young people, you have an app on your phone. It, it's called Maps. Believe it or not, there actually used to be these physical things called maps. I can remember years ago being in, in Los Angeles in this urban sprawl, completely lost. I have paper. I've got this map. I'm trying to drive a, an SUV with my kids and navigate the whole time. I cannot tell you how grateful I am for this wonderful technology. Because New Year's Eve, it was dark. I was in the middle of nowhere going to a house where I'd never been. But I was able to talk to Siri. I love Siri. And then I was able to, to put in the address, and I knew what was next, where I was going. I could she show me, okay, this is where you are. And then she was able to show me step by step where I needed to go. This is what I love about God. God never leaves us. He never abandons us. He has revealed to us what's next, where it is we're going. He shows us where we are, and then He guides us step by step for where it is we need to be. Now, important question that, that we need to answer and something we need to understand is where are we? Where are we? I mean, where are we in the grand scheme of things? We know that the Bible explains reality. The Bible is, is so forthcoming in, in what has happened, what is happening, and what is going to happen. We know that the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. The Bible is a single story in four parts, creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. Now, we just got finished celebrating the coming of the rescuer. The rescue is on. Jesus Christ has come. Now, we're anticipating, we're waiting for the restoration. That's what's next. We don't have to wonder what's next. The restoration is next. And so where are we? We're right here in between these two. But we've got to understand how important this restoration is. The restoration is the time when God is going to make all things new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There is going to be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. This is the life that God intended for us. This is a life of harmony. And that's what's next. Now, in light of what's next, God is calling us to make decisions and to guide our lives to, to fulfill what it is He wants for us to do. He's going to walk us through it step by step. And so, to help us to get an understanding, get our trajectory right, we're going we're gonna to go through this series for the next few weeks, and we're going to study the book of Haggai. 
Haggai? I know some of you are asking. Yes, Haggai. I realize that's not necessarily a book that you know, so if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go ahead and take it out, and it's okay to use the table of contents. It's okay to sing that song if that's what helps you get to it. Here's what I do. I go to Matthew, and I hang a left, and I go past Malachi, and I get past Zechariah, and there I find Haggai. Now, if you go too far, you'll run into Zephaniah. We don't want any part of him right now. We want just Haggai. And, and what I love about Haggai is, is the way it really, it really speaks to what's going on in our world today. See, in the day of Haggai, God was calling his people to build a temple in preparation for the first coming of Christ. God is today calling us to be his temple. We are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of his spirit. And God is calling us now to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the day of Haggai, the people were living off of the prophecies that pointed to the first coming of Jesus Christ. We now, after the rescue, in the midst of the rescue, anticipating what's next, the restoration, we are now living in the hopes of the prophecies that speak to the coming of Christ again. Now, to understand the message of Haggai, you've got to understand something of the history of redemptive, of the redemptive plan of God. Now, you've got to remember with me, you've got to remember with me in the Old Testament, God had promised to set aside a people for His glory that would bring salvation to the whole world. And there, there was a time when the people were faithful, but when you read the book of Kings, as I was doing back in the fall, it, it, it gets really sad and discouraging because we read this phrase over and over again, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. God had told his people that if they abandoned him, if they turned to other gods, that he would judge them, and that they would be placed in exile to the far reaches of the world, and that the city Jerusalem itself would be completely destroyed, and there would not be a single stone left standing. Well, God finally made good on his word. After years of, of turning away from God, the Babylonians came in and crushed the people of God. He took many into captivity, and he completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem so that one rock was not left on top of the other. In the year 605, the prophet Daniel, at the age of around 15 or 16, was actually one of those taken into captivity. About 70 years later, Daniel began to pray. He began to pray for God to take his people out of exile, out of captivity, back to Jerusalem. And he did that because the Word of God said that that's what God was going to do. God's Word. He was studying the Bible. He was in the process of studying the prophet Jeremiah. And as he knew this Word of God, and it was the Word of God, he knew it was true, he began to pray according to the Word of God. And we read about it in Daniel chapter 9. It says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the Word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So it's almost 70 years. And what's Daniel doing? Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and and sackcloth and ashes. What's he doing? He's praying for the will of God to be done. How was he able to do that? 
He was able to pray for the will of God to be not done because he knew the Word of God. If you do not know the Word of God, you cannot pray the will of God. And if you are not praying the will of God, you will never live in the way of God. So let me ask you, how are you this year going to study the Word of God? How are you going to prepare yourself? Because I'm going to tell you something. Over the Christmas break, I talked to people, godly people, who are going through some great things, some horrible, painful things. And they were living off of literally the Psalms and the Word of God that they memorized and knew. What are you going to do in 2016 when your number's called and your pain hits and, and, and it starts coming on you? Are you going to know the Word of God to give you hope? See, if you're not right now investing in the knowledge of the Word of God, you can't know the will of God, so you can't live in the way of God, and what you're praying may be exactly the opposite of what God wants to do. Here, Daniel knew the Word of God, and so he is now praying the Word of God, knowing that he is praying in the will of God, and he's asking God to do a miracle, and God answered that prayer. God answered that prayer, not simply because Daniel prayed it, it was God's word that inspired him to pray. God answered that prayer because it was his will. And so what we see is a miracle happening. In 538, Cyrus issues this decree. And friends, please understand, please understand how amazing this is, all right? I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to show you how absolutely just just blow your mind away amazing this is. This is uh, Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So again, this is according to the word of God that Jeremiah, what Daniel was, was praying towards, what Jeremiah had studied, in, I'm sorry, what Daniel knew of Jeremiah and studied and prayed. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, this is amazing, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. All right, I got to show you this. Two prophecies that are being fulfilled right here. The first one is Jeremiah 29. Now, most of you probably know Jeremiah 29, 11. You probably have it somewhere in your house or you probably have this scripture somewhere tucked away. But do you know the entire text around it? The entire text around it has to do with God's promise to bring back a people from exile after 70 years. This is God's word. It's true. It's right. We can trust it. This is Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a, a future and a hope. And that's the part we know. But do we know that it's in, the, it's in the context of God keeping his word and keeping his promise? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations, which is exactly what he's doing, and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God knew before he sent his people into exile, his salvation plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly how he was going to do it. Now remember, Daniel was praying this 
Jeremiah is about 25 years older than him. He was reading something that, that had been written, possibly in his lifetime, maybe just before. He was familiar. He knew it was the Word of God, and so he was praying it. But there was a prophecy that was, in, in all estimation, even, even more amazing than that. See, there was a prophecy that was given 150 years before the decree of Cyrus. And in that prophecy, Cyrus was named. 150 years before Cyrus made the decree, Isaiah the prophet, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, wrote this prophecy and said it would happen. This is Isaiah 44, 28. Who says of Cyrus, he named his name 150 years before the decree. He named him. He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Say, say, uh, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Remember when Cyrus said, God has told me I'm to build the temple? This is why. Because God, 150 years before, had told him. Interesting note, side note, um, Josephus, writing Jewish antiquities, he records a story in which Cyrus, reading Isaiah's prophecy, again, uh, 150 years before, was so impressed with the divine power to tell the future that he eagerly sought to fulfill what was written about him. Does that not blow your brains out? Does that just like pop, right? I mean, here is Daniel. He's praying. Here are these two prophecies. They're being fulfilled. Here is Cyrus. And, and what is he doing? He is, he's making this decree. And so what does God do? He does what he said he's going to do. He is now bringing the exiles back. He is now moving the heart. Now, please understand, this was supernatural. Those folks leaving out of Babylon, it made no practical sense. Let me, let me explain. When God sent his people into exile, they went into exile, but God still blessed them. These people had good jobs. They were making good money. Daniel, the one who was praying, was in a, was in a, a, a position of authority and power. Don't forget Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. It is not as though God's people were, were just slaves like they were in, in, in Exodus to Egypt. No, 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 no. In Babylon, these folks had thrived. They had money. They had power. They had resources. And so here is God saying, okay, guys, it's time to come back. It's time to go back to Jerusalem where there's nothing, no temple, no houses, not a stone left on top of the other one. Not everybody went. Not everybody went. Jesus Christ has come and he has died for sins and he has been raised. And not everyone will follow. Many are very comfortable in their sin. They're very comfortable in their lifestyle of the world and they have no time for God. And so it is, so it was with many of the exiles in that day. God had to supernaturally move on their hearts. Ezra 1 5 speaks to it. Ezra 1 5 says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Every one of those that God stirred, their names are written in the Bible. If you're doing the McShane Bible reading as I am, yesterday you read them in Ezra chapter 2. You read the names of the households of the people who left the captivity of exile and came back to Jerusalem. Friends, let me pause here. Don't miss the gospel in this. 
there were thousands, tens of thousands of Israelites who never returned to participate in the salvific purpose of God. Many were far too comfortable and too busy in living in the things of this world to give God any time. But God was gracious to some. And God called some. He stirred in the heart some by the power of the Holy Spirit. And their names are now written for all of eternity in the Word of God. And for those who now will repent and believe, you know the three circles. You know that, that God's design is that we would live in harmony, but because of sin, there's been brokenness. Now, everyone who will repent and believe the gospel, the fact that God left heaven, came and lived a holy life as a man, died for our sins, and has been raised, everyone who believes in that, repents and believes, is able to recover and pursue God's design. And their names are also written for all of eternity. See, there's this wonderful thing called the Lamb's Book of Life. We read about it in uh, Revelation 21:27. But nothing unclean will ever enter there, that is heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Everyone who repents and believes has their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Every person who says, I do not want this world, give me Jesus. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Everyone who says, I will give up a worldly way of life, I will repent from it and I will pursue God's purpose and God's plan in salvific history. I want to be a part of God's kingdom. Those are they whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't miss the gospel in this. There were those who stayed in exile, and there are those who will stay in the world. They died in exile. There are those who will die in exile and spend eternity in hell. And I'm sad to say it very well, maybe some of you sitting here right now. God's gracious. And God will save to the uttermost any who will repent and believe. Any who will turn away. Everyone had the free choice to leave exile and go back to Jerusalem. Every person in this room right now, you have the free choice to make. Turn away from the way of the world. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and, per- and, and pursue His salvific purpose in His kingdom. Or stay in exile. Stay in sin. And he sent us to hell forever. So in light of these miracles, the prophecy is being fulfilled. Daniel's praying, Cyrus's decree. God raised up these people and they left exile and they actually went to Jerusalem and there they built the altar and they built the foundation of the temple, but they didn't. Can you believe this? They didn't build the temple. Can you believe this? They... They got there by grace and then didn't do the very thing God had saved them to do. After 18 years, God brought pain and suffering and disappointment and a prophetic word from Scripture. He raised up Haggai and Zechariah. We read about it in Ezra 5.1. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edith, the prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And so what we're going to study this month, we're going to study these four sermons in, in Haggai. And, and what we're going to see is God telling his people, don't, don't do what is bad and don't simply do what is good. Do what is best. 
and you can know that you're doing what is best when you're living in light of what is next. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, and hopefully by now you have found Haggai, go to Haggai chapter 1. Graham Champion is going to read for us, so let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And we're going to point today to, to uh, verses 3 through 11. So Graham, if you would, brother, go ahead and read that for us. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. The Word of God. Thank you, Grammy. If you would be seated. What they were doing, it wasn't necessarily bad. It just wasn't best. What they were doing was actually what we would probably consider good. They were taking care of their homes. They were building homes for themselves. There's nothing wrong with that except the fact that they had put God out of their minds. And instead of doing what he had commanded them to do, which is best in light of what was next, which is the coming of Christ, they got caught up in, what, in doing what was good. Remember this, and, and everything else I'm going to say, just remember this and write this down and hold on to this. Everything belongs to God. Everything. And, and we are stewards of his resources. What are his resources? Time, money, and energy. Friends, listen to me. It all belongs to him. He made it. He sustains it. The time you and I are living in right now, it's His. He owns it. He made it. He's sustaining it by His Word. Everything you're wearing right now, everything that you have that is yours, it's His. You and I are just stewards of it. He made it. He sustains it. All the energy that you have to use, all of it is His. He made it. He sustains it. And here's the thing. He is going, he's going to hold us accountable for every bit of it. We will stand before the God who owns it all, and we will have to give an account for every second, every item, and every bit of energy that we've used. So think about what you have. Think about your intelligence. Think about your physical ability. Think about the, the people that have trained you, that have invested in you. Think about the opportunities that you have. Think about the, 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 the resources and, and not only relationships, but all the energy you have. Where are you investing in it? Does it reflect the fact that it belongs to God? Or are you busy building your panel houses? Are you taking all that is God's and building your kingdom? Or are you doing what is best in light of what is next and building His? See, God has called us to be stewards. And we need to be good stewards. We need to have good stewardship. So write this down and understand, good stewardship begins with God's work. It begins with God's work. You see in verse 2, this popular saying at the time, 
the people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. See, God has called them, and they called them and called us to put God first. He's given us time, He's given us money, and He's given us energy. And God has said, put that first. That means that every dollar that you and I have the privilege to make, the first 10% of it is to go to God. No excuses. That means the first energy that we give at the beginning of the week is to be spent bringing glory and praise to God in His church. That means that, that the, the, the resources and the time that we have, the first part that we have is to go to God. The truth of the matter is, for many who claim to be Christians and who claim to be members of Living Hope, you're robbing God. There are so many who claim to be Christians and members of this church and don't give a tithe. They don't serve anywhere in the church. They're not connected in this body. There are many who come to church once a month. Some come every other week. Some come once a quarter and claim to be members. Friends, you're not living for what is best. You're building your own kingdom. And I know what's going on. There are students who are here, and you're thinking to yourself, what? I mean, I just have this little part-time job, and, and you know, I'm just a student. When I, when I become an adult, then I'll, I'll stop putting God off and I'll get serious. And then I know that there are some of you who are young adults who are thinking, well, once I get married, once we're settled, then we'll begin to give and then we'll begin to serve and we'll really get involved. And I know the young married, you're thinking, well, yeah, but... We can't really, but once we have children, when we get kids, then we're going to stop putting God off and we're going to start to really give and get involved. And I know those of you who are kids, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, once we get these kids raised, right, then we'll stop putting God off and then we'll really get involved, then we'll really give and we'll really serve. And I know what some of you empty nesters are thinking, man, these kids have worn me out. After we get to do some things we wanted to do that we put off because of the kids, then we'll start putting money into God's kingdom. Then we'll start getting involved. Then we'll start serving. I know what some of you senior adults are thinking. When I start feeling better and get some energy again, then we'll start to give. Then we'll start to serve. And here's what's going to happen to so many who claim to be members of Christians at Living Hope Baptist Church. You're going to die, and you're never going to have invested in what matters most. You're going to miss out on what God is doing. And here's what's crazy. There are going to be some who are actually going to expect to enter for all of eternity in the kingdom of God when you yourself have never lived for or invested in the kingdom of God. There is, there is no reason for any who are not living for and giving to and, and, and abiding in God's kingdom work to expect that God's kingdom internally is theirs. You, you live for what you love. And what you love defines you. And what defines you is all about your faith. So the question is, what is that? What is that for you? Is it your job? Is it your hobby? Is it your real? What is it for you? Some are robbing from God and missing the very blessing that only He can give because we're not investing in God's work. Second, understand this. Good stewardship begins with grace. 
This is a privilege. And, and please, please don't start giving and don't, don't start doing things because you think, oh, I guess I better. Pastor Jay's going to get all fired up on New Year's Eve, I guess. Don't do it like that. Listen, if it's not your heart's desire, don't be a hypocrite. But understand there's consequences to your decision. Understand it is a grace that we get to give. Remember, God God led those people, those exiles, back to Him in grace. God, He resourced them by grace. He called them by grace. He skilled them by grace. And so He has with us, every single one of us who believe. We are here by grace, by the grace of Jesus Christ. The resources we have, we are resourced by grace. Do you not realize that you could have been one of the three or four billion people on this planet who live in a part of the world that has never heard of Jesus? Do you realize that? That nothing we have is because we deserve it. It is grace. It is grace. God has called us by grace. He has resourced us by grace. And He's called us to live by grace. To live a life that says, God, thank you. But many just choose to live in their paneled houses and get caught up in the things of this world and turn their backs on the very grace that saves. Understanding good stewardship, it also begins with discipline. It begins with discipline. That says the Lord of hosts, this is verse 7, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. You know why I had to tell them to do that? Because all the resources that Cyrus and the Babylonians and the others, those who stayed in exile, all the construction materials that had been given to them, instead of using those to build the temple, they used those to build their own houses. How many of us are in the same boat? God has given us resources, and we have not tithed, and we have not made sacrificial gifts. God has given us time, and we are not using it for the glory of God and serving. God has provided people, and we're not plugged into a small group. We don't have accountability with other people. No, no, we're too busy building our own kingdom. We're too busy caught up in doing our thing rather than God's thing. And I understand, and please understand, it takes discipline to do this. Because your body and my body, we have excuses why we shouldn't get financially, why we shouldn't plug into the church and serve, why we shouldn't be in accountability relationships with other believers. And listen, if you ever run out of excuses, call me. I've got extra. I'm a bright guy. I've made all kinds of excuses. I've got lists. So we need discipline. It's going to require discipline. It's a discipline for those folks to leave the comforts of their home, to go up into the woods, to go and provide all that was necessary to undo the consequences of what they've done. And for many, you've gotten in the habit of not giving, not serving, not connecting. It's going to require discipline for you to press on, to get in line with what God is wanting to do, and then realize it takes faith. Good stewardship begins with faith. And it's not enough that we just have faith. We must have faith in the right object, God. See, these exiles who come back to Jerusalem, they had what I would say a large portion of the people of Living Hope Baptist Church have faith in. They had faith in themselves, not God. See, here's what I know. I know that a majority of our membership gives 
outward and mental affirmation to God. But in reality, the faith is in themselves. So how do you know that? Here's what I know. I know that a majority of our membership believes if they can own the right things, house, cars, jewelry, technology, if they can be at the right places, vacations, if they can be on the ball field with their kids, if they can make their kids some kind of athletic superstar, then they'll be saved. Then they'll be happy. Then their whole life will work. See, I know this because I know some of you have gone into extreme debt to make that happen. And why do you do that? Because you believe it will save you. You believe it will fill the void of your heart. If your kids could just be a great baseball or basketball player, football player, whatever, if, if, they, if you could just have the right house, the right look, the right technology, I know you believe this because you invest in it so much. Instead of giving to God, instead of being a part of this church every Sunday, instead of being connected in the life of this church, you go and pursue other things because that's what you believe in. These folks, these were exiles. These were people that left the comforts of, of the exile to come back to Jerusalem. And they put God off and they lost sight of what was important, what really mattered. And I'm telling you, it's happening right here, right now. And I'm telling you, God is saying to us, enough is enough. It is time to get on with living for what's best. And you know you're living for what's best when you're living in light of what's next. And what is next? The coming of Jesus Christ, where every one of us will give an account for our life. Let me ask you, right now, right here today, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before Holy God? I want to challenge you right now. Some of you are not Christians. I want to challenge you to come get on your knees right here at the front and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Take over my life. I want to live for you. I'm done with the way of the world. I'm done living in exile. I want to pursue you. I want to live for you. And you need to be saved. Stop putting him off. Do it today. And some of you who claim Christ, I want, I want to challenge you. Not because we have a budget deficit, because we don't. Not, not because, you know, there's, there's, the, the church is somehow in trouble because we don't have enough volunteers. That's not our problem. The problem with our church is a heart problem. Because the hearts of our members are the things of the world and not the things of God. And we are not living in light of what's next. We're living in light of right now and tomorrow and how we feel. And here's what I want to ask you to do. To ask God to give you the faith to begin to live for what's next. You say, you don't understand our financial situation. No, I don't, but God does. You don't understand, you know, we're really busy. Hey, again, if you're looking for excuses, call me. I got them. Enough. Get on your knees and tell God, this is the year that I begin to live obediently to you. My Lord and my Savior, no excuses, no turning back, no turning back. Let's pray. Father, 
there's not a one of us in this room who can say that we have lived it exactly the way you want us to. No. Some may be further along than others, but that's no reason to brag. There's no reason to boast. Any growth is a reflection of your grace. So our boasting is only in the Lord. But every single one of us, we have room for growth. God, I pray today that there will be some who will be saved, that they will come and get on their knees and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and take over my life. I want what is best. And Lord God, there's some here today who are your children. I, I believe that. And they believe that. But they, they're not living for what is best. They're not living for in light of what's next. And I pray that today there will be some who will come get on their knees and say, God, it's time. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to need your help. But I'm going to. I'm going to give. I'm going to connect. I'm going to worship. I'm going to connect. I'm going to serve. I'm going to get equipped in my faith. And I'm going to multiply. I'm going to share my faith with others. For God, bless those who seek that now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.